Take your Bibles this morning and again open to that passage that we started to read in Hebrews 12. Hebrews is a rich book, but to really understand it properly, we have to understand the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so a lot of times it's ignored in the local church because the pastor, the teaching elder, has to go back and really do his homework to understand all the imagery. Uh, I'm not going to attempt that this morning because we don't have the time, but I will uh, refresh us a little bit as it's uh, connected to our text this morning. Um, I'm I'm just going to start out this morning by reading uh, through verse 27, and that's going to be, you know, I want to introduce what we're doing, and then we'll uh, really get into the heart of the message, but uh, I'm going to read it as we go this morning. Is that okay with you? All right, I hope that you can accommodate that. Typically, I would read the text, but this morning we'll do it that way. The writer says this in verse 25, and I'm preaching from the New King James. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Stop. What's the writer talking about? He is trying to connect his closing thoughts in the book back to a portion that he wrote in chapter 4 about the people who heard God speak on the mountain. And it says there, and you can look this up later, I, I ask you to do that, that they heard the same message, but their response was not filled with faith. So the gospel message, the need for man to be saved, has not changed in many, many, many years. And sometimes we forget that in our day. So the writer is connecting these thoughts that he's bringing to a close in the entire book back to what he said in chapter 4. And he's using this experience of God's people traveling through the wilderness. He's reminding us of God's sovereign hand on them as they traveled and how they refused him. And so the reminder focuses us right in on the heart of the matter. Are we willing to trust God, or will we be like those people and refuse him? So he tries to connect that in verse 25. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And again, now the writer is just kind of, he's kind of honing in on his thoughts for us. What, what are the things that can be shaken? That's a question that naturally pops up when you read this verse. What, what in the world is the writer talking about? And then he quantifies it, uh, things that are made. And here I believe he's talking about things made by human hands. And so as we consider this morning, what, how, how can we understand what has eternal value? Something that we come face to face, face with right away is that what God has made, his creation, has value. Everything else one day, will no more be. Am I right? Even the, new, the heaven and the earth, if you read Revelation, what happens to this heaven and this earth? It's burned away. 
Now, sometimes people want to make that figurative. I don't want to get into that argument this morning, okay? I believe in the literal, historical, grammatical, interpretive theory. So I see that as something that will take place. But God is warning us that if we value the wrong things, we lose. And this is serious. This is consequential for us. This isn't a little slap on the wrist. If we ignore what our Heavenly Father says, and He shakes those things which are made and they're gone, and we haven't responded in a proper way, we effectively lose. And what does that mean? It means that if you have not trusted Christ as Savior, when you have not called on Him, on His power only, to forgive you of your sin because of His death on the cross, if you have never done that, you will spend an eternity in hell. Because the Bible says clearly in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death is what we earn. It's who we are. But the gift of God is eternal life, His gift, and we have to choose that gift. It has to be put on our account. So the writer of Hebrews is bringing this to a laser-sharp focus. Don't refuse the voice. Don't refuse what God is giving to you this morning. And I find over the years of living in Africa and coming back to America, and there's that whole thing about a third world and the first world, and yes, sure, we experience all that. Um, but I find that as I come back here, it's harder for me to transition back here than it is for me to go back to Ghana. I was sharing a little bit with Andy and I think maybe Trevor, I, probably because we've been there so long now, I'm, I'm not sure. But let me just say this to you. We live in a very distracted society. You know, you know, what, you know when this really irritates me, right? I'm an old guy, so I get irritated, right? Okay. You know when this irritates me is when I drive. You know, when I took driving school back in 1976, oh, now I'm dating myself, right? Okay, some of you are going, what, I wasn't born yet, okay. You know, you were taught to get get up on the car so that you could see their bumper just over your hood, and then when the light changed, you went, right? If you're in traffic today, what do people do? They stop 20 feet behind the car because they're playing with their phone, and they creep up a little bit, and they creep up. And then the light changes, and they're not, you know, and I, like, I want to blow the horn, and I don't. Sometimes I do. Okay. Why? We're distracted. We're so distracted. And so I find it very refreshing that when it comes to our spiritual lives, that the message that comes from this text in Hebrews is don't be distracted. Figure out what's important and do what God has asked you to do. A lot of Christians today, well-intended, godly people, are so distracted by politics. You know, I believe in right and wrong. I surely do. Uh, I, I live in a country where the government is corrupt, and that's Ghana. It's corrupt. If you're waiting on the government, you'll wait forever. Okay? And we forget, when Paul told us in Romans 13 to obey the government, he was writing about the government that was not democratically elected, the Roman Empire, and the one that would eventually remove his head. So we, we kind of we skip all those things when we talk about, well, let's pray for our officials. Hey, how are we praying for them? We're praying that they'll come to Christ, that they'll learn to make good judgments. You know, 
To be quite honest with you this morning, no matter who's in the White House, my life effectively will not change. Now, they could enact legislation that one day will affect every believer. I got that. But it's really not going to change what I do. And yet we're so distracted by politics. In my lifetime, there was this movement that arose out of Liberty University to elect the right officials so that the conscious, conscious, consciousness of the American evangelical could be felt at the polls, right? You know what I'm talking about? What group am I talking about? Somebody help me out here. Come on. That's right. Moral majority. No, just from my vantage point, because I grew up. I was, I was a young man, and that's what my parents, you know, when they got saved in 1968, that's what, you know, was on their radar. And so I grew up in all that, listening to these people talk and, and all the rhetoric. And, and from my vantage point now, as I look back, had we taken all that money and effort and really used it to win the loss, we would have done something. But when I look back now, what did we accomplish? My observation. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't be distracted by your world. Focus on what God is saying. He wants you to hear his voice. Amen? He's telling you that today. Grace, fellowship, hear my voice. And so what is he saying to us? Well, that is what we find in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. What is that? That's our eternal life. That's the other side of the verse from Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That can never be shaken. I believe Scripture teaches us that the believer is secure. Amen? You come to Christ, you are forever saved. Now, your responsibility is to live like Jesus wants you to live. So there are a lot of people that say, hey, I believe. But their lives don't match it. That is problematic. You know what I tell my congregation, the people I work with in Ghana? I'm a fruit inspector. Because the Bible says, in the book of John, if we're in the vine, if we're connected to the vine, we're going to have fruit in our lives, right? There's going to be fruit in the Christian life. So I just tell them, I'm looking for fruit. If I don't see fruit, I'm going to come and say, what's going on? Oh, pastor, you're judging me. No, 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 no. I'm not judging you. I'm showing you what the Word of God says. There ought to be fruit in your life, believer, And if there's not, indeed, that is problematic. You are distracted. Be distracted with your work. You'd be distracted with your family. I've been there. I've done that. We have five kids. Our oldest was six when our youngest was born. I worked. I was in the elevator trade before God called me into ministry. I know what it is to try and advance your career. It's easy to get distracted. But what helped me understand my own spiritual growth was this fact. The day that I die and I stand before Jesus Christ, he's not going to ask me what I did for a lifetime vocation. That will never enter the conversation. And yet how many of us guys 
spend the, the cream years, the prime years of our lives trying to climb the ladder. You talk to a man, he's going to tell you what he does, right? We can be distracted. And the Bible is saying for us this morning that when we come to Christ, we are eternally secure. And because of that, our lives must reflect God's grace. He says that in the text. He says, you have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. God's grace is truly amazing. We often just think of it in the context of our salvation. And in that, it is indeed wonderful that a sinner bound for hell is saved, becomes a child of God, and is now on their way to heaven, is in the family of God, has all the blessings and the rights of God's child, is a co-heir with Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us as he indwells us. We have his word before us. That's a wonderful thing. But please do not forget, my friends, that we need God's grace every day of our lives. I, when I tell you that we're distracted, I, I don't want you to think that that means I'm never distracted. No, 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 that's not true. I can get distracted in Ghana just as easily as I can get distracted here in America. Why? Because I'm human? Why? Because, you know, I have things I want to accomplish. I'm I'm a plotter. I'm a box checker. Okay? Anybody out there like that? So when I get up in the morning, my agenda is today I got to check a box. I got to look at the list, see what I have going on, and I want to check it off so I can make sure that I've got it done. And what often happens is my, in my life is that God intervenes and he brings, um, you know, something that upsets my agenda. And then, so what, how do I respond to that? Well, I can respond one of two ways. I can accept it as, you know, God, you allowed this, so help me deal with it. Help me deal with it properly, filled with your love and your grace. Or I can just ignore it and go ahead and try and check the box. So that can happen. It can happen to all of us. But we understand that, yes, God's grace looms forever larger in our salvation, but we also need it every day. Part of, part of what I call the Baptist problem is that we want our people to live holy lives, but we don't teach them to live holy lives because the Holy Spirit impresses them. We teach them to live holy lives because we give them a list they have to follow, right? You know, that was, like I said, when my mom and dad got saved in 1968, they got the list. Can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. <laughs> You know, hey, in the youth group, I was taught you can't wear wire rim glasses because John Lennon wore wire rim glasses. And brother, that's sinful, amen? So things are crazy. Why? Because we're not taught to live by the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us that, hey, this isn't good for you. What are you doing? Why did you say that? But if we learn to live that way, then God's grace is apparent in our lives and other people can see it. And listen, that's when God's grace becomes palatable. That's when other people say, hmm, I like that. I wonder where that came from. So we need His grace. 
so often when I talk to believers. When trials come into their lives, and everybody here has a trial. Some of us have more and more difficult trials than others. I just, I have a friend in Ohio. I've been, this guy and I have been friends since the early 80s. We were deacons together at Berea Baptist Church before God called us into ministry. They just went through a tremendous, a horrible time in their family. Uh, his his son-in-law at 40-some years old got an inoperable brain tumor. Um, they tried to do some things. He lapsed into a coma. While all that was going on, uh, uh, and the wife is dealing with that, their oldest son, so this is my friend's grandson, took his own life. And so now the mom and the wife is dealing with that, but her husband's in a coma. She knows if he ever comes to, she has to tell him, hey, our Cody's not with us anymore. And he has to tell him why. Hey, that's a terrible thing. I wouldn't want to trade places. While all that was going on, his parents decided that, you know, the father said, I'm his father, he's my son, I don't want, you know, he's going to have to stay alive as long as possible. So the wife was wanting to put him in hospice. The parents took it to court, trying to get extended, extraordinary measures of life. I can't, I, I could go on and tell you, it was a terrible, horrific time. And these people that took him to court were supposed to be believers. I can promise you this morning, I would not want to have to deal with that. But as my friend and his wife recounted these terrible things, they also were able to say some things about God's grace and how that people in the Christian community stepped up and paid $14,000 for the legal fees that the family did not have. How some other things took place because of God's sovereign plan and his grace took what was a horrible event and they could find some good in it. I'm here to tell you, you listen to me, I'm here to tell you only the God of the Bible can do that. Amen? He's the only one. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why we learn to trust Christ at an early age. Praise God for the kids in here this morning, this afternoon. I'm so glad you've joined us because this is key for you. When you come to Christ at an early age, you don't have to go through all the, the scarring and the forgiveness of sin. You learn to walk with Jesus and please Him and have a life that speaks of Him. That's God's grace. Oh, that's wonderful. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're eternally secure. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. That's what encourages us when difficulties come. But we have God's grace. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. I'm going to go phrase by phrase now. How do we learn to value eternal things? We become the servants of Jesus Christ. That's, that's really the nut in the acorn this morning. Being a servant is not a popular idea today in our society, is it? But what does the Bible say? What does Paul say? That when we were before salvation, who's, who was our master before salvation? Satan. 
And when we get saved, what happens? We leave the kingdom of darkness and we come to the kingdom of light, and now we're servants of Jesus Christ. Am I, that's biblical. That's what the Bible says. So I know it's not, you know, the cool thing to say that in society, but it's really the truth of Scripture, okay? And so I believe in this theological idea called uh, total depravity of man. It doesn't mean that we're always as wicked as we can be. Like, we talk about total depravity. People want to talk about Adolf Hitler. They want to talk about, you know, uh, the serial killer, you know, all these terrible, horrible things. But you know what the Bible is really saying, and this is the essence of this doctrine, is that even on our best day, when we do something good, we do it out of impure motive. And I can promise you, there are people in churches that were in church this morning, when they gave their tithe, they did it for nothing more so that other people could know they give money. That's an impure motive. Do you understand that? Total depravity doesn't mean we always do all the wickedness that we could do. It just means that each one of us, without Jesus Christ, have the capacity for great evil. And sometimes, when we've been saved for a while, we forget that. We forget that. And so when we evangelize people, we begin to put up walls. You know, we want people to be just like us, only not saved. Well, that's impossible. They're going to do what sinners do. They're going to live ruined, wrecked lives. That's why the grace of God is so amazing, because it can take that person who is bound to Satan, who doesn't even know that Satan's their master, and God can transform them in salvation to his child. That is an amazing miracle. Amen? We need that. We need to see that in our churches. So, yes, I've spent my adult life in a third world country trying to help people understand that. It doesn't make me any better, any different than you. Not an iota of difference. But I can promise you this, that if you walk with the Lord, no matter where you're at, what your job is, where your neighborhood is, what you're doing, how you raise your kids. If you strive to live for Jesus Christ under all those things, he will reward you. He will enrich your faith in a way that is evident to everyone who comes across your path. He will do that. So the writer of Hebrews is saying we may serve God acceptably. God sets the bar, not man. I know here you have elders. I think maybe you also have deacons in your church. I'm not sure how, how you guys actually run, but in, in our independent Baptist churches, we use our deacons like elders, right? You got that. So I was a deacon. So I'm telling you this because I get the privilege in those days of listening to people who want to join the church. They've gone through the baptism class, and now they want to give their testimony, and we're going to sit, we're going to listen to it. And then when they share their testimony, then they're going to leave the room, and then we're going to say, hmm, what do you think? Right? Are you guys there? Some of you interacted that way? Shake your head or tell me I'm crazy, whatever. Yeah, okay. And what used to bother me was I'd hear people talk. I'm like, you know, I'm not convinced. Now, let's be honest. I'm just a human. Okay? And so the other people, you know, and, you know, I'm that guy. I'm from construction, and my world is face-to-face and toe-to-toe and, you know, testosterone and all that stuff. I know that. I got that. But There still has to come a point, no matter 
if you know all the lingo or not, that when you tell people this is what happened to me, that there's something about it that we cannot refuse. And let me, let, let me just say, there were times when I heard it and it didn't ring the bell and it didn't trip the wire. And I said that. Then, you know, I'd get, oh, you're, you're blah, 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 blah. Okay, maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I am. But, you know, hey, some of those people we baptized, they joined the church, and I can tell you, I didn't see them a whole lot after that. What I'm telling you is we tend to want to set the bar according to what we feel that we need. But here, the Scripture is very clear. We serve God acceptably. He sets the bar for our service. It's not about the human element as far as my gifting, my ability, my education, my economics. It's none of that. God sets the bar for our service. And so what is a servant? A a servant is somebody who has no agenda of their own. They exist only to do the will of their master. No holidays, no sick days, I'm sorry, lady, no, ladies, no maternity leave. Oh, wait a minute. We can do that with men now, too. Okay, I forgot. See, I'm old school, right? Yeah. A servant, by the very definition of the word, is a person who subsumes their will into the will of the master. I know that's a big word. That's a big word for me as a construction worker. But what it means is that I take my will and I say to God, please you do with me what you want. That's being a servant of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that everybody will go into full-time Christian ministry. I didn't say that. What I said was, as believers in Jesus Christ, when we are focused on what his word tells us to do, we become his servants. And when we become his servants, then we are effective tools for him. Sometimes when I see my brethren in Ghana, and because we live in a breadbasket, we live basically in a farm country. We live in the Illinois, Indiana, Nebraska, Kansas of uh, Ghana. Anything that grows there grows in our region. And those people basically work it all by hand. There's some tractors and there's some cows pulling plows, blah, blah, blah. But most of it, 85, 90% of that work is done by hand. You watch people work a half acre to an acre plot by hand, that'll wear you out. I'm telling you that. And then we come here to America and we drive through Indiana to go and be with our family and we go mile after mile after mile of cornfield. Hundreds of miles. All done mechanically. And that for me is such a a striking illustration of the faith of the people that I work with in Ghana. They don't know what you know about their faith. They don't have the understanding of God's Word that we have here in America, American Christianity. But I want to tell you, what they have, they have. They're holding on to it with both hands, and if necessary, their teeth, because it's what they know, and they hold on to it. But here we have all the advantages. 
we're so distracted. So this morning, I want you to understand that serving God isn't about going into full-time ministry. Serving God is about being a tool that is useful for Jesus Christ. And then the writer quantifies it here. He talks about with reverence and godly fear. I could spend the rest of our time today talking about those two things, and I won't do that. But suffice it to say, in America, we've lost our reverential awe of God's holiness. Right? I, you know, I don't know what you were doing today before you came to church. I hope you were engaged somehow with the Lord. I hope before you ever stepped foot in this building that you had some kind of a quiet time, a moment to say, Lord, speak to me today. I need to hear from your word. I need to sense your presence in my life. Lord, work in me today. I hope you had that moment. But if it's just another day that we get up and we do what we do, we've lost that reverential awe of God. So let me take you back this morning. Let me help you focus that as the writer of Hebrews says, do you remember the time that you trusted Christ? Do you remember that day, that moment that you said to him, I'm a sinner, I need you? Remember that. If you remember that this morning, that'll bring it all back into focus. And that's what God wants. Let's not lose our reverential awe of who God is. Let's keep that. Finally, as a servant, you will only be judged by your master. A lot of this doesn't count. That's what the text says. For our God is what? A consuming fire. Consuming fire. I think we understand that really well right now with the fires in Maui, in Hawaii, fires in Yellowknife up in Canada. We're seeing that that fire gets so hot and so intense it just consumes thousands of acres. So on that day that we stand before God, we can't say what our pastor said or my mom and dad. or uh -uh, It's just going to be you and God. And he's going to burn away all the stuff. Now, all that's going to be left, if you're a believer, at the judgment seat of Christ, all that's going to be left is your service for Jesus Christ. What did you do for him? I can tell you this morning, I meet a lot of people who are going to be shoveling the ashes of their life out of the box, because that's all they have. Sure, they're saved. Got their ticket to heaven, they got their fire insurance, but what did they do for him? Hmm. So, this morning, if you're focused on who you are and what God is asking you to do, and now I'm referring to 1 Corinthians, use the gold, silver, and precious, precious stones to build your life so that when God's fire comes, his judging fire, there will be something that remains. Don't trade your gold for ashes. Don't do that. Serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I love the book of Hebrews. It's very convicting. It's very convicting for, to study. It's very convicting to preach. I say this to you because as Penny and I look at what's going on in Ghana, 
And I am 61 years old this year, so already people are saying, when are you going to hang it up? When, when are you coming home? I don't know. God knows. He hasn't told us it's time yet. We still have some things we'd like to do. But when I look in the rearview mirror, there's no one behind us. There's no one in the pipeline. Are people being called today? I believe they are. I believe people are still being called by the God of heaven to serve him with their lives, but they don't respond. So whatever God puts on our plate for the next four, five, six years means we have to bring to a terminal point before we leave. And that's good. But I would just say this morning, if you're here, and you know that God has called you, don't ignore that. Respond to it. There's a reason why I was 40 years old when I landed in Ghana. Because I probably ignored God's call on my life at an earlier time. Don't do that. And God uses people of every age. Remember that. But serve him acceptably. Andy, thanks for letting us come today. We're going to catch you up to speed on our specific ministries here and after uh, our time as we eat together. little senior moment there. Yeah, what do we, what do we call that? Our, uh, yeah, potluck, sorry. I, I don't believe in luck, so pot providence, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going to catch up to speed on that, and um, we'll enjoy that. We, we, I want to thank this church for your support, for your love, for your encouragement. And um, it truly is good to be here today and reconnect.